welcome everybody. Clayton isn't here. He's not feeling well, so I get to substitute to a degree. But I do want to welcome you, and I'm trusting God for today. It's been a fun time. I've really enjoyed myself this morning. Not that I don't enjoy myself other Sunday mornings. But it was such a, a pleasant time just to enjoy the presence of God. And it's easy to take that for granted. It is quite easy. And actually when it becomes familiar to you, the absence of it becomes actually startling. And that is actually our desire as a church, as a local body, that is our desire for you to become, to know God. As, as Clayton has mentioned many times, you know, we seek to build a culture where people know God. And to know him is to know his presence and his absence, that would be startling. And that's in part our desire for you, our desire for this body, for the community. It's all wrapped up and it's all part of a bigger picture, which actually Clayton's been talking about, and I'm going to continue. And he started a series, and I don't know, maybe this is just a Clayton thing, but he loves to start series and get interrupted in between, and this is like a self-interruption. Maybe you're watching, Clayton. This is your thing. So this ought to have been his third week in a series that he entitled A Kingdom View. And I'm going to continue with that, and some of that if you haven't, I would just encourage you, it is, I believe, both of the first two messages are online and you can go and take a listen and view it. But as a very quick summary, and I'm not planning to take a ton of time, but as a very quick summary, this series about a kingdom view, and he, he mentioned, he gave you an outline on the first week and he said this, retaining a kingdom view concerning people, Purpose and power. And last week he spent some time talking about purpose, and I intend to continue on with that, and I'm sure he will finish the series. But he mentioned a number of things along the way, and I'm just by way of repeating and by way of summarizing, I want you to give you the context of what I'm going to be talking to you about today. And he's been spending quite a bit of time in Luke 19 and backed up to Luke 18 to give you some context. But one of the statements of purpose that he mentioned, and I believe he mentioned seven of them last week, but he referred to Luke 19, verse 10. And this is in the context of Zacchaeus. And he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he mentioned as part of the that, and we normally think of the loss, we think of people, and certainly that is encompassed in that statement, as Clayton went, spent some time talking about. But he particularly went back and talked about things that were lost in the garden. And he mentioned authority, he mentioned relationship, and life. Authority, relationship, and life each of those were lost in the garden. And to a degree, you could say that part of what our mission is, part of the purpose, is to restore that which was lost. That's just part of it. 
So I want to continue on, and that's what he talked about in terms of purpose, and I want to continue on with that. And he, he actually went through in Luke, continuing on and starting in verse 11, it was the parable of the Manas. I think I said that right. He actually pointed out the proper way to pronounce that, and I hope I did that justice. But the parable of the Manas. And it says in starting in verse 11, I'm just going to jump right into it. It says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And Clayton mentioned a couple of things about that very passage and about the why this parable was actually spoken by Jesus. And as Clayton said, it was to dispel the thought that the kingdom is going to suddenly appear and that church is the agency through which the kingdom of God comes. And I'm sure you've heard that before. I don't think that would be surprising to any of you, but the implications of that can be quite profound. I say can be. So in verse 12, it goes on to say, that's the reason why he spoke the parable. And he continues on as Jesus spoke the parable. Therefore, he said in verse 12, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return, speaking of the Son of Man, Jesus. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten manas, and said to them, do business till I come. And that word or that phrase, do business, as Clayton said, is to be occupied with, to be engaged in. And it's fair for you to ask, so what ought, to you, ought you to be occupied with? What is the business in which you ought to be engaged? And again, this was still continuing on as a summary of last week. 1 John 3.8, one of the purposes. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we know the purpose of the devil, the business of the devil, actually, because that's what the word works of the devil means. Is what is the devil occupied with? What is his business? And in John 10, we know, steal, kill, and destroy without apology, without a break, without a loss of focus. That's what the devil's business is. And so if you were to say, and he's actually referred to as the destroyer, Apollyon. So if you were to say that Jesus' purpose was to destroy the works of the destroyer, that almost seems somewhat of a circular thing, that if Jesus is here to destroy the destruction, what does that actually mean? One way you can think about it referring to is restoration. Destroy destruction is to restore to the state that it was originally intended. So Jesus, as we know, was occupied with the Father's business. And the Father's business was that his original intention for mankind would be restored. And the church is the agency by which that can actually be accomplished. And hence, I think it was three weeks ago, Tommy spoke about ambassadors. It's not the first time that that phraseology by intention about how we are, ought to view ourselves as ambassadors. And I would encourage you to go take a, a listen to that message from three weeks ago. 
but the ambassadors, to be very, to su summarize what that refers to, is that an ambassador represents a home country. He's actually in foreign territory. And the home country represents the model culture of which the ambassador, by intention, is designed to have conform where he actually resides. That's a pretty simple model to actually understand. And in churchianity, you know, as you live in this world, and it's a fallen world, and you would probably have come to yourself by personal circumstance and issues that you found pop up in people that, in your sphere of influence. And what you read about of heaven, what you can imagine the home country, the place of heaven looks like, the very kingdom of God where his authority is unopposed. There is no opposition in the third heaven as to what the Almighty desires. It is unopposed. We don't live there. Not yet, anyway. And you've probably found yourself, as you walk this planet Earth, Earth, and you're in this world, you're not called to be of it. As I said, your home country is not here. But that doesn't quite line up with what you imagine heaven ought to be like. In fact, it's actually quite frustrating. Because there's this stark disparity of what, where you live versus where heaven is described, looks like, is supposed to feel like. And that might seem quite frustrating to you. But let me encourage you, because that stark disparity in the circumstances that you find yourself in that absolutely do not line up with what you imagine your home country's value system, how that's engaged, is the exact reason why you are an ambassador. It actually validates your role. The mere fact that it doesn't line up what you imagine it ought to line up or has met your expectation about how it ought to be validates you as an ambassador because the work is not yet complete. The role that you play in the church, in a sense you could say it's their business, is to now begin to have the areas that are starkly not like heaven to begin to conform by character, by nature, by impact to what heaven is like. That's what a role of an ambassador does. So as frustrated as you may find yourself and giving voice to that frustration is exactly the validation of what you are to be. So, but let's get back to this parable. It's a fascinating parable, the, the Ten Manas, and there's actually quite a, a similar, in a sense, feel to it to the parable of the talents, and yet it's distinctly different. And, and I wanted to talk about this parable of the Mnaz, but I ultimately want to ground it to you and I, because theory doesn't do much value. You live your life as best as you know how, and the word of God can be an option, certainly, but it can't be an imperative. And the parable of the Nas, as you contrast it with the parable of the talents, there's one striking difference between the two. Is that in the, in the parable of the ten Manas, they each received the same amount. The parable of the talents, that wasn't the case. One received five talents, one received two, and one received one. And it says very clearly that it was given each according 
to their ability. And the value of the Manah versus the value of talent is quite distinctly different. As Clayton mentioned last week, the Manah was roughly equivalent to, it's actually 100 denarii, which is about equivalent to, if a, if a denarii represents one day's wage, then 100 denarii represents about three, a little over three months' wage. A talent represents 6,000 denarii. So it's 60 times what the Manah is. So using similar types of you know, value, you can say that the talent actually represents about 15 plus years of salary. And now you're talking about the parable of the talents. One was given five. That's 75 plus years of salary. That's what he was given to invest. And it was given in accordance with ability. The Manah, on the other hand, in this parable, has nothing to do with about ability. And I point this out for a very particular reason, is that if my interest was to have the church be engaged in the Father's business, my desire would be that everybody would be engaged. This is not amazing logic. It's just a desire. And what oftentimes happened, and this is not criticism, it's just being real with you, I see this in the professional world. I see this in the church. I can even see it in family. I pick, pick a context. The mentality oftentimes is that people will disqualify themselves. If there is a job, if there is a task, if there, there is a role to play, it is actually a very common thing that people focus on what they do not have so as to disqualify themselves. I'm not really good at that. I don't really have the resources to accomplish that. It's, it's just common. I've seen this as part of human nature. And that's part of the reason why I talked to you about the difference between the talents and the na. Talents was given with respect to ability. So I'm not, I'm not talking at this point now about anything that you would characterize as ability or talents or gifts. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about now this parallel of the na. And they were all given the same amount, which me speaks to something of being so characteristic of all of us, that, as in we all have it. So it's not an excuse for you to say. You can't actually have that excuse that, well, I, I'm, I'm not really good at that. Not what we're talking about. That's not this parable. All given the same amount. So with that framework, what exactly do we all have? without excuse. We all possess it in, in the same type of capacity. And now we're saying that our responsibility as individuals is to now be occupied with, be engaged in, in investing what we each of us have individually without distinction. And I've tried to boil it down to something that I thought was not controversial because I'm not looking for you to create more excuses. It's like, well, I don't agree with that. I don't have that. That's it. We're not talking about abilities, gifts, and talents. But this is what you have. Two things, and they're intertwined. This is what all of us have. You have a voice, and you have belief. All of you have these, and they're intertwined. And I know you're thinking, it's like, well, I don't feel like I have a lot of belief compared to this other person. We'll get to that. You believe something. 
And you might even characterize that unbelief. But you still believe something. And you have a voice. So, simple, right? Two things you have. You have a voice and you have belief. And you are called, if you were to put that in this category of mana, now you, each of us individually, are now called to invest that, to be, do business with that. Simple ideas. And you know when you talk about your voice, I can quote scripture to you, and I'm going to quote some scripture to you, and I know you know the scripture, but there are implications to that. See, with a voice, you speak. What can you do? You can speak encouragement. You can speak discouragement. You can speak a blessing. You can speak a curse. You can sow peace with your voice. You can sow discord. You can give praise. You can give criticism. These are all possibilities of how you can use your voice. And I know you've experienced every single one of these examples in your life already. And there's power in it. You know the proverb, the power of life and death is in the tongue. This thing. James 3 calls it the untamable tongue able to set the course by such a little element. That's the tongue. See, if I were to say to you, because we are talking about business and we're talking about being engaged in, and I were to give you an assignment, this would be a horrible assignment, by the way. Would you listen to what you are saying? If you actually were to carry a notebook around or a transcription, you have, if you have an iPhone, you've got a dictation machine. If you are actually able to record everything you said for a week, the results, I hope, would not be shocking, but it would be quite illuminating. What you say has impact not the least of which for other people, but for yourself, for your family, for your children, for your neighbor, for your spouse, for your coworker. What you say and the spirit behind it has such power, you don't want to admit to it. But you felt it, but you probably don't want to admit to its power. My goal is not to create a discipline for you to watch what you say, because that, as I said, James chapter 3 puts a lot of constraint on me on how far I think that'll be successful. But I want still for you to understand in this very dynamic that you have a voice, and your voice has an inherent power to it based upon the spirit by which it speaks. And you know the scripture said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know this. 
just like a tube of toothpaste, as the saying goes, you squeeze the tube and you see what comes out. So what you say is a reflection of what is going on inside. So the goal should not be to, in a sense, restrict or discipline what comes out. If you really want to affect change in what you say, the only way that that's going to be accomplished is to change what is in the heart. That's the only way. That's why James 3 says, you can't even tame this thing. I mean, if you were to 24-7 do what I said, which is to record everything, he says, like, I'm not going to say that this time. I'm not going to say that this time. You would lose. If you want to change what comes out, you have to change what's inside. It's the only way. I said you have two things. You have a voice and you have belief. Now you can see how they're intertwined. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, it says, I believed and therefore I spoke. What you believe directly impacts what you say. The Bible talks about the evil eye. That's in regard to the view of finance. What you believe Let me just make an aside here. I'm just going to be somewhat transparent with you. These are some things I think about. I think about the word of God sometimes, and I've joked with you from this very pulpit, and I, I, I get a little bit provocative sometimes, I said, but, and I'll quote scripture, I said, but we don't really believe that. And all I'm trying to say, because I've analyzed myself, because sometimes I read things in scripture and I'm like, um, that's what it says. And I've had some of my theology corrected because things the word says is not, not quite convenient sometimes. That's true. But sometimes, that's why, that's why Jesus says, you know, when it talks about the kingdom, you receive the kingdom as a child. Because when you, when you say something to a child, and the child's looking at you wide-eyed, and you say this something, and they'll believe it. That's how the kingdom is. And I'm not here to give you, in a sense, a sense of hype as in, I can do anything, but please understand that when it comes to belief, this is what the Bible says. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And of course it goes on to say, this is, this is in the story of Jesus healing the son, you know, that was in a sense like an epileptic. And of course, the next verse is, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So the point of me telling you this is not that you should be able to accomplish anything if you just believe. That's not the point. My point of me saying this is that belief is quite important. And I would not want to constrain your belief. Because authority structures are actually pretty good at constraining things. I joke with my family. It's like, what's my job as a father? It's like, you know, quite frankly, I like stamp out the fun. That's my job. I tell them, you know, <laughs> this is not parenting 101, by the way. I say, you know what? You know, they ask me questions. Can I do this? Because my immediate answer is no. 
And you say, well, that's not very loving. I was like, well, let me tell you how practical this is. It's easier to change a no to a yes than a yes to a no. So you ask me anything, my boys ask me, can I just no? I can change that. If I want to change to a yes and no, it's like, oh my goodness, you, know, you have to use every amount of skill of diplomacy to even accomplish that. I got off track, I know that. But belief, belief, you have a belief system. You do. You might not fully comprehend what it is, but you believe something. The parable of Manah is interesting because as compared to the parable of the talents, the one who was given five talents, he returned, he earned five more. The one that was given two talents earned two more. There is a proportion to which they invested that they got in a return, which makes sense if you think about it because it's done in accordance with ability. To whom much is given, much is required. So when you think of abilities and gifts, for the one that was given more, there is a greater return expected. But here in the parable of Manaz, which I'm saying wasn't given in the context of ability, we all had the same thing. And I said two things you have is you have a voice and you have belief. The one who had one Manah, the Manah earned 10. There was a disproportionate return to what was invested. I find that really interesting. And my best explanation of why that is true is a very simple word that anybody who in the financial realm understands. It's called compounding. The Bible is so inconvenient because we want big change. We want big impact. And yet the Bible says when referring to the kingdom in Exodus 23, talking about possessing the land, it says, oh, little by little. I'm not going to clear out this whole area because, you know, you can't even handle it. Because if I drive out the whole area, the wild animals are going to roam because you actually don't have the capacity to govern. So I said, little by little, I will drive out the enemy from the land until you have increased enough to take possession. Little by little. So when you think of what you have, all of us have, which is your voice and belief, and you apply the principle of compounding, because here's the thing. In the parable, it says, do business till I come. And we don't know when that day will be. But we have time, don't we? We've already had time. And especially, it's easy to understand in the context of belief that as your belief compounds over time, what you thought you believed five years ago, different to what it is now based upon revelation, based upon faith, it's grown. And belief as a measure of compounding, and you think about pure territory, you cannot take more territory until you've taken this territory. And as you slowly increase in the bounds of your territory, you can understand compounding now. Because you have to start somewhere, and as you grow in capacity, and belief is an easy example to understand that, because it's pretty much equivalent to faith, as you grow in faith, the impact that you have in your faith compounds. 
and that's the parable of the manah. And if I were to have any goal talking to you about this parable and trying to apply it to us individually and say, do business till I come, the one thing I, I want to dispel at all, which is the only warning in, in this parable, is the one who hid his nah. I'm trying to remove every possible excuse there is for you to say, uh, I'm not going to do anything. That's my whole goal. Is to make it as accessible to you in recognizing that I have something and if I will be willing to actually just do my part and apply it, I have potential to grow this. And I'm not trying to put any limits on what that looks like. Other than for you to say, yeah, not me. That's the only thing I'm trying to remove. To remove any excuse that we naturally are very good at coming up with. It's like, yeah, but you know, I can't do this. I don't have that. I was like, you have a voice and you have belief. Do business till I come. You are called to pioneer yourself. I say that without apology. Nobody here, you can look at every single person in this room, and, and I would say, okay, compare them to yourself. Nobody has your history. Nobody. You are singular in the history that you have, the trials that you've walked through, the background that you have, everything you've walked through, you are singular. Nobody can compare to you. And you have a voice, and you have belief. Do business till I come. The kingdom is not going to appear immediately. The church is the agency by which the kingdom is going to be ushered in. The disparity that you see in the realm that you live in and the sphere of influence that you have and the fact that it does not line up potentially in very stark ways to what you imagine the kingdom of heaven looking like, that's why you're there. You're an ambassador. Do business till I come. I implore you, use what you have like all the rest of the people here have a voice. I know you still have a question in your mind about exactly what kind of impact you could have. And if you're a parent, you immediately know the answer. The level of impact that you can have is quite stark just by what you say, just by what you believe. It's frightening, actually. And the level of impact, the only way you can measure it is by compounding. Now, I just have a few more minutes. And I ha on my last page of my notes, I have this, which isn't much. Can I take a few minutes? Well, I'm going to do it anyway, so I'm not really asking, but... 
I just want to explain myself. It's not all about theology, it's not even about teaching, but can I take a moment to share just some of my heart to you? We had a discovery class two Saturdays ago, right? And uh, fun time. And you know, a lot was said and communicated and, you know, sometimes, yeah, I get to speak a little bit about, you know, what is the church structure, a little bit about finances, and it's all fun. And, but this time, I just felt to talk a little bit about history. And some of you may not know our full history, but, you know, I talked about, because you're talking about time. You know, when I, we first came to this church, our, our youngest child was a newborn. Today, I stand here and say, my granddaughter is a newborn. That's the passage of time. And things have happened over this time, you know, and I, re- I relate a couple of just interesting points about it. And I mentioned that, you know, when I was, when we first came to the church or early on after coming to the church, you know, we met Jennifer Key and she was, I said, 17 year old. She corrected me and said, I was, she was all of 18. I'm like, oh, big difference. <laughs> Jennifer Key was 18 years old. You may not even know who Jennifer Key is. Well, most of you probably do. But Clayton happened to marry her. So she's Jennifer Grenville. I hope you're watching this. <laughs> Clayton, you're, you're very fortunate. She was 18 when, she, when I first met her in this church. Clayton saw the light and married her. Well done, Clayton. There's a passage, you know, the, the word says, you know, I was young and now I'm old. I don't want to say that. But I've seen a lot of things over time. And we've gotten a lot of feedback over the years about just the nature and the character of the church. And people sometimes people refer to it as very family-like. It's very, they love the presence of God. And, and they say to us, you know, don't change. I understand what they're saying. And certainly we've grown. And of course there's a challenge to retain the heart of it. I am privileged to have been here, you know, from the first public service, which was in the Hampton Inn in Leesburg. If you kind of go straight down Route 7 and it splits off into 15, you'll see the Hampton Inn. And that's where our first public service was in 2003, in January. It was actually the Sunday before Ken and Michelle arrived from South Africa. And so I was there one week before Ken and Michelle. I mean, he was still involved, so yeah. don't hear what I'm not saying. And I remember the first service with Ken and Michelle. And it's, it's funny, you know, sometimes history rhymes, you know, with the present. The present rhymes with history. And, you know, my whole family was there their first Sunday, our kids. And then the virus hit, and a number of her kids were homesick. So the third week now, you know, we were, I was the only one from my family that went to the, the service. And after the service, they had a kind of a potluck to welcome Ken and Michelle at the Ripley's house. So this would be February of 2003. 
and I'm obviously still getting to know Ken and Michelle. And Ken and Michelle, or Ken, we were just sitting around a table in the Ripley's house, and Ken, you know, came and sat down. And he talked about starting up a life group in Reston. And it was quite an interesting thing when I think back in my mind, because, you know, I understand it's like my third week there. My wife's not there. The kids are back at home. And he's asking people about opening up their homes to facilitate a life group. (laughs) Never forget. Going around the table. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, in my heart, I'm feeling, yeah, I'm like willing to do this, but this makes no sense. Like, I just started coming to this church. My wife's not even here, but I'm feeling to offer up my home. And as you're going around the table, you know, and for, I'm sure, very valid reasons, people couldn't do it. And, I, and then finally, he looks to me. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm a lawyer, so I gave him a bunch of caveats about this, that, and the other thing. But... I said yes, and I'm like, well, I've got, got to call my wife, you know, because I just offered up our home to host the home group, and, you know, we just started coming to this church. Why am I telling you this? You know, people say, don't change. People love the family atmosphere of this church. I say, I'm relaying this story to you because I want to, you to understand that the heart and the character of this church hasn't changed. And as Ken and Michelle had a desire to have life groups and home groups be a part and parcel of what this church was about, that was true pretty much from day one. And I just wanted to express my heart about it because we desire to re-engage with life groups and, and Steve Gulick, you know, has agreed to, to help us with that. And I'm sharing this because If you were to say, why small groups? I'll give you my answer, why small groups? Because the lives of the people in the group depend upon it. That's why. There are some people here that are from a military background, and we talk sometimes, you know, we have very grandiose ideas or thoughts which are, can seem very religious about taking the city. I think you would agree with me that the city as it stands right now looks nothing like what we imagine the kingdom looking like. You could even say that there's an element of warfare that is there, and you'd probably be right. When you deal with urban warfare, sometimes you're dealing with home-to-home combat. That's what life groups are like. You see, the lives of the people and... Just another, I'll I'll give you the answer to a trivia question that you may actually come up here or there. Marie and I led a life group. We had one person show up. That was Carly. That's the answer to the trivia question. It's not about impact, people, in terms of numbers. But the lives of the people in the communities, home by home, are dependent upon it. We believe in it. So my heart in just relaying a little bit of history and relaying a little bit of value is that 
If Steve Gulick walks to you, run to him. You, you can run away from me, that's fine. I'm comfortable with that. But if Steve Gulick walks up to you, run to him. You can trust that man. I trust that man. There's a lot still that needs to be worked out, but the value I wanted to impart to you just from my heart. In my time dealing, leading life groups and being part of life groups, there's an aspect of that it does look a little messy sometimes. It just does, because people are there. And the degree to which people are open and vulnerable life happens. I'm just being honest with you. So I would encourage you that as we go into this coming year and the season where our very intention has been and we've been planning for it to engage in life groups, this is not something new. This is something that was born and brought forth in reality from the very beginning. Because the heart of it behind Ken and Michelle's desire and it's continued on, certainly, with Clayton and Jen. It's for the people. The church is people. And that's the most effective way that we know to actually engage with people in the reality of their day-to-day -day lives. We meet on a Sunday, to be sure. And we always trust for impact and life to be imparted but there's some aspect of day-to-day -day walking with each other that necessitates small group. Our lives depend upon it, they really do. I believe that personally. So it's not necessarily just a plug for Steve and, or maybe it is Steve, I don't know. He's a great guy. But I just wanted to share my heart about one of the initiatives that we're going to be starting up. It already has started. I, don't, didn't mean to misspeak, but we were super excited about it. Anyway, I'm just going to pray to close. Sometimes just having a little bit of family aspects that I love praying people into the fellowship because it's just family at the end of the day. So let me just pray to close. Lord Jesus, you are good. You are good all the time. And we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day. We thank you that you are always at work and that your love knows no bounds. We are changed by your love. And I just say, Lord, let the knowledge of you, let the revelation of you increase. I pray that, Lord, that we would know you better. Amen. Amen. Thank you, right. Dwayne. And thank you, Steve. Catch Steve Gulick as he's sprinting out the door from, <laughs> from being called out just now. But hallelujah, really, for, for him and his wife, for that couple and what they do here. Uh,
If you're visiting in person or online, thank you for coming. There is a gift bag waiting for you on your way out if you did not already grab one. Um, those who were prayed into the fellowship, there's also a gift for you on your way out too. If you'd like prayer for anything and everything, come pray with us. We'll be over here. And, uh, oh, I wanted to say, um, I have a word for healing today. I felt the Lord say to me during worship, pancreatic cancer. So if that is you, come up and I'd love to pray with you. Be blessed. We love you. We'll see you next week. Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Sunday. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you are visiting in person, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag. We look forward to meeting you. Connection cards are a great way to connect with us. To submit a card, simply scan the QR code on the back of the seat and complete the online form. Here you can let us know if you're new to us, any needs you may have, or how we can connect with you. We are excited to be coming together for a 21-day corporate fast, February 1st through 22nd. Keep an eye out for prayer and worship opportunities coming up throughout these three weeks. Whether you join the fast for a meal, a day, or the full three weeks, we encourage you to activate this powerful key and deepen your prayer life in this season. Visit the events page on our website for more information and links to resources that will motivate and inform you. The Living Free Ministry is now accepting appointments. We would love to help you restore a deeper connection with the Lord and find freedom from what may be holding you back. Email livingfree at freelifechurchva.com to schedule an appointment. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving and we invite you to give to the work God is doing. The easiest way to give is by texting Free Life Church VA to 77977 on your mobile device or go to the Give tab on our website. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connection box at the back of the sanctuary. Stay informed of upcoming events, holiday schedules, and weather closures by subscribing to our weekly newsletter. Simply text Free Life to 41400 to sign up. Remember, to learn about all our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today. We are so glad you're here.